Good evening, everyone, and welcome. Tonight's class is titled God's Chariot. And tonight we're going to learn why the forefathers, why the Avot had the title they did, why we look up to the forefathers, and how we today can become God's chariot, and what, the, how close we can come to being that. I, I'd love to share as an introduction, every day the Rebbe wrote a thought for the day. And a thought for the day two days ago, the second day of Adar, very powerful. And I'll read in the Hebrew and then translate. A blessing needs something to grab onto. Just like rain. Rain is not a blessing unless the field is prepared for the grain, for, for the rain. Later rain in the year also. If the fields have been prepped, so then the rain is a blessing. But rain coming onto your car is not a blessing. A waste field unplowed and unsown. All the different types of rain won't bring any gain. The lesson to us is clear that sometimes we don't see the blessing in our life. Blessings are like rain, right? We say rain, water is a sign of blessing. Rain is a sign of blessing. When we fill up our cups with wine, we want them to overflow. We want, we want it to rain blessing. But just like rain needs a vessel with, to receive it, blessings also need a blessing to receive it. So let's just make sure that we're always, we always are allowing the vessels within ourselves, our heart and mind, to be open to those blessings. Very powerful thought. So, we've previously been learning how if someone is able to truly connect with Achdos Hashem, the unity of God on the highest level, it's going to bring a tremendous, tremendous joy. <coughs> but now we're going to learn something a little sad, which is that we're not able to truly connect on that level. Hashem, I'm talking for myself, as you'll soon see, I can't talk about you, but not all of us were created with the ability to truly perceive godliness on a level that we recognize that every single thing in this world is godly, it's all part of one God. Not all of us have that ability. So if the second method of coming to true happiness is by be able, being able to perceive God and how everything is Hashem, well, if, if that's not applicable to me, then I don't want you to be teaching it to me. I don't want to know about it. Right, in Maimonides, one of the, we have three key words. We say, we want the school to be personal, meaningful, and empowering. But meaningful, what does meaningful mean? We want everything to have an application. If you're telling me that I can't achieve this feeling, 
this understanding of God's unity, so I don't want to know about it. So first we're going to start off learning who it is applicable to. And, he, and we're going to learn something fascinating. We always talk about the patriarchs, the matriarchs. But when you talk about the head of a family, oftentimes that's divine providence. The, the Zayda was bo born first. He was privileged to have three children, each of the, he, to have five children. Each of those children had 15 children. And he's the patriarch of the family. That's, in a sense, that's the way God made the world. He's a grandfather and these are his grandchildren. But when we talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we don't talk about them as being the first. We, t we look at them as, as the role models. We look at them as the... the they are everything. We always are referring back. Avraham is chesed, kindness, and Yitzchak is gevura. Yaakov is teferes. We, we're always talking. They were something special. What was so special? And, and also, generally in a family, you only have one grandfather. You don't have three grandfathers, right? Yeah. <laughs> Here we're saying there's three grandfathers and there's four grandmothers. It's getting quite confusing for us. How do you decide? These days well, you never know. It's a dysfunctional family, but yeah. <laughs> well, are you, so you're saying we, as Jews we started off dysfunctional. We had f three fathers and four mothers. But, and wh why? Why did it stop after the first of the three fathers? We should have said that there's 15 fathers because there's the three fathers and then, then Yaakov had 12 sons. Like, how do we decide? Maybe there's 15. So obviously the Avos had something unique that no one else had. What is it? We learn Ha'avos, Hain, Hain, Hamerkavad. The fathers, they are the chariot. The chariot, the the car, the Merkava, oh the tanks, right? But in Israel, the tank is called the Merkava. That's no, it was a personnel carrier that was the Merkava. But maybe I'm maybe I'm making a mistake. No, all right. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said. The Merkava means the chariot, right? A chariot has two horses pulling the wagon. Now. Twice in the Torah we learn about God's spiritual Merkava. We learn about the spiritual chariot. Yirmiyah tells us about it. Yeshaya tells us about it. Jeremiah, Isaiah. And they tell us how on God's, on God's chariot there's a, the face of a lion, the face of a, of a human. Four different... Each angle has four different figures. That is a spiritual... Well, they're both spiritual, but that is a, a, a more celestial Merkava. Then the forefathers, they were also their Merkava, another chariot of God. Now we learn that from the two chariots of God, which one was greater? We learn Ha'avos, Hein Hein Ikar Ha'Merkava, the main chariot of God, the main entity that is able to truly receive God were the forefathers. What was so special about the forefathers? that they were one with Hashem in an unparalleled way. Their unity, what does it mean to be a chariot? It means you're nothing for yourself. A car, unless you have today's car that could talk back to you, most, right, if, if you're, as long as your car can't talk back to you, you tell it what to do. It's subservient to you. The Avos, they were completely one with Hashem. That level of oneness is something that no one else in the world ever had. 
On that note, though, I want to share with you something amazing about Moshe Rabbeinu. They were the only ones, aside from Moses, to whom God spoke directly, weren't they? They were the only ones whom God, God spoke directly to all the prophets. But, but the answer is yes and no. Moshe Rabbeinu, he used amazing wording. How much of the Torah was written by God? It's a trick question. The answer, whatever you say, I can say you're right or you're wrong. Let me explain. The first four books of the Torah, Bereshit, Shemos, Vayikra, Bamidbar, they were all said and written, not written, written Moshe wrote it. They were all said by God. The last book of the Torah is Moshe speaking 40 days before he passes away, the book of Devarim. It's Moshe speaking. And in the Torah, in the section where Moshe is speaking, he shares, on behalf, he talks on behalf as if he is God. He says, I will give you rain. Who am I? I'm Moshe. Moshe can't give us rain. Does anyone know where Moshe says, I will give you rain? Ah, you all know this answer. The answer is in the Shema. The second chapter of the Shema. You can tell me in any language, by the way. If you're English, we could do it in English. But, but does anyone, could anyone help me out? Okay, let's do the English. Let's do the English. Here, here's the English. I'll read it from this Chumash here. V- chapter 11 within the book of Deuteronomy. Verse 13. What will happen... Let me read it from a sitter. Yeah, Yeshua, could you read the second paragraph? No, no, you read it. Second paragraph, first two verses. Oh, and it will be? Yeah, please. And it will be if you will diligently obey my commandments, which I enjoy upon you this day, to love your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. I will give rain. Moshe is saying, I will give rain. Hashem, he's talking on behalf of God. The, the wording the Gemara uses is, Shechina midaberes mitoch girono. You weren't listening to his voice. You were hearing the Shechina talk through his voice. Mm. For concerning him it was said, the Shechinah speaks out of Moses' throat. Exactly. The Shechina was, Moshe was a conduit for the Shechina. Here we're talking about, so you have the forefathers, that they are a complete chariot for God. You have Moshe, that the, the Shechina is talking out of his throat. Of course you have the prophets, different prophets, prophesies in different ways. Some of them had to fall asleep. If, if you're familiar, we learn that with one of the prophets, they would lose their senses when they had prophecy. <coughs> So there, we do know of people that were able to unite with Hashem on an incredible level. So we're going to start off talking about the people who did connect and were able to perceive the unity of God. Let's see, page 154, the beginning of chapter 34. Page 154, the beginning of chapter 34. It is well known that the patriarchs were truly the chariot of God. 
it is well known that the patriarchs were truly the chariot of God. Let's take a moment, and if you look in your footnotes, it's referring you back to chapter 18, note 3. So let's turn back to chapter 18, note 3. And that is on page 76. And here it's going to explain to us in the footnote on page 76 what it means to be a chariot for God. There's another Tanya if anyone wants. Right there, that's, that's an, us, another Tanya. This expression, when in one line down the footnote in 3, this expression signifies absolute self-abnegation and submission to God and the divine will, just as the chariot is totally, totally submitted to the will of the chariot. I'm not sure how you say that word. Charioteer. Charioteer. Thereby becoming a vehicle for divinity on earth. The forefathers were like that chariot Submissive to his charioteer. I learned a new word. Thank you. Okay, back to page 154. It is well known that the patriarchs were truly the chariot of God, for throughout their lives they never for a moment ceased from binding their mind and soul to the Lord of the universe with the aforementioned absolute surrender to his unity, blessed be he. The forefathers, they were able to, their entire life, feel how Hashem is one, there is nothing outside of Him. Not only when they were thinking about God's unity, you know, when you and I, again, I don't know about you, I'm going to talk about myself, when I think about God, so at that moment, I'm, I try to focus. But when I leave that moment, I'm not thinking about it anymore. The forefathers, they were able to have this feeling that was with them wherever they went. Likewise, were all the prophets after them. All the prophets, throughout all the generations, similarly, they were able, on a lower level though, to feel that unity of God. And what depended on how great their understanding of God's unity was, each according to the station of, of his soul, and the degree of his apprehension. If you remember, we said all the Jewish people are like a, like a person. Some people are the brain of, of the nation. Some are the hands of the nation. Each one of us is a part of the Jewish nation. This, the souls of the prophets, they all came from different places. So dependent on where, where their soul came from would depend how high their understanding was. And even wherever their soul came from, within that place, there are many levels that, of how they can understand. Depend on both of those things would be how they understood and were able to receive and uh, connect with the unity of God. And the rank of our teacher Moshe, peace to him, surpassed them all. The highest of all the prophets, this is one of the 13, the 13 principles of faith, is that this Moshe was the greatest of all prophets. The, regarding Moshe, it says, for concerning him, it was said, the Shekhinah speaks out of Moshe's throat. He, Moshe was just a conduit. God was completely one with him. He was able to say, I will give you rain because God was talking through him.
every how many times did every Jew see God so far? Once. By the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, God revealed Himself. We learned previously that God wanted to share the Ten Commandments with us in person. He shared the first commandment with us and we left our bodies, we all died, we flew back away from Mount Sinai quite a far distance and God brought us back, He told us the second command and the same thing repeated itself. After the second of the Ten Commandments, the Jewish people said, God, we love you, but it's a little too much. Do you remember we discussed this last mm -hmm. time? Mm -hmm. How Torah is the numerical value of 611, because Moshe only told us 611 mm -hmm. of the mitzvot. Two, God told us directly. Mm -hmm. So, it's good and it's bad. The amazing thing was, and that's what we're going to learn now, when God spoke to us, we were, re we were connecting with that level, with that one of oneness of God that the, our prophets were able to see. The problem is that we're not vessels to receive that oneness of God. So when it was revealed, we lost ourselves. Something of this union the Israelites experienced at Mount Sinai, but they could not endure it. We couldn't handle it. As the rabbis say, that at each divine utterance, their souls took flight. When you have a minute. We, we literally died. Our souls left the body. We couldn't handle it anymore. <clears throat> which is an indication of the extinction of their existence, of which we spoke above. What does it mean that the soul took flight? That means that we lost our individuality. We became one, we just went back to our source. So ultimately, we are not truly able to connect with the oneness of God. And if we just went in the previous chapter that that's how you're going to be truly happy, well, I guess we're all doomed. We're going to be truly sad. If the way to be happy, right? If I tell you I have the key to happiness, but you can't achieve it, so you're doomed. No. You're not doomed. Why are you not doomed? Because immediately after God gave the Torah, and He saw that we weren't vessels for the oneness of God, what did God command us to do? To make the Mishkan, make a dwelling place for God. So God actually said, you know what? Let's make the Mishkan. And I will be there in my full glory. You'll come when you can. But I will be there in my full glory. Let me give you an example. Two examples. How, how do we know God was, was in His full glory in the holy, in the temple? Anyone share? What, what's on your mind? How do we know that God reveal, revealed Himself in His true glory in the temple? What was unique? The fact that they brought sacrifices is not a proof God was there in His true glory. And the fact that people juggled there in Sukkot is not a proof that God was there in His true glory. What miracles happened there that revealed to us that God was there in His true glory? I can think of one. 
that I read about. I can't confirm it. I didn't witness it. But when the um, the the blood and the discarded parts of the sacrifice were placed on the ground, <laughs> yeah, isn't it told that they disappeared it, or something happened to them that was not normal, that was rather miraculous? I have not heard that. I'm not saying it's wrong. <clears throat> But I haven't heard that. Well, I think I've heard it. Pretty sure I have. Uh, I'm not making it up <laughs> on the spot here. Please. In the tabernacle, when the tabernacle was assembled, and 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 uh, uh, Moshe and the, and the Israelites were in the desert traveling, didn't the presence of God des descend upon the tabernacle in in the form of a cloud? Yes. Now what? Part of the glory of God was in that. Yeah, I, I right. Don't know. No, no. There's, there's some something there. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. God descended in that cloud. The question is, what level, so to say, of God was there? Maybe that was just an external part of God. That was just it was a flashlight guiding the Jewish people. Yes, sir. Were you asking about the temple or only the desert? The temple. Or, or, or both. I'm asking. Let's just take the base Hamikdash. Let's take the let's take the temple, the physical building. First, no matter what was happening, the smoke went straight up. Okay. Second, no matter how many people came, there was room for everybody. Mm -hmm. Third, when those who came from the centers in Babylonia returned, there was never any rain it was always easy for them to go back after the sacrifices for a period of two weeks. After, for everyone to return home. I mean, I appreciate those points very much. And now, some of them that you've mentioned we're going to hear. Um, Rafi, could you read out loud number five? But very, very loud, so people on the recording could hear. Number five, it's at the bottom of the page. <laughs> Ten miracles were wrought for our forefathers. Sorry, this is just to tell you what, what Rafi's reading goes. He's reading Ethics of Our Fathers, Pirkei Avot, oh. chapter 5, the fifth Mishnah. Again. Ten miracles were wrought for our forefathers in the Bet HaMikdash. No woman miscarried because of the aroma of the meat of the body sacrifices. The meat of the holy sacrifices never became putrid. No fly was seen in the slaughterhouse. No bodily impurity befell the high priest on Yom Kippur. The rains did not extinguish the fire on the woodpile on the altar. The wind did not prevail over the vertically rising columns of smoke from the altar fire to dispute it. No disqualifying defect was found in the meat, in the omer, or in the two Shavuot uh, loaves, or in the showbread. When the people stood, they were crowded together, yet when they penetrated themselves, they had ample space. No serpent or scorpion caused harm in Jerusalem, nor did any man say to his fellow man, the place is too crowded for me to lodge overnight in Jerusalem. Ten miracles happened, and I want to talk about one of them David mentioned. And, and this is, it's an amazing, <coughs> an amazing idea. You had 
millions of Jewish people coming to the temple. Now, on a very technical level, the temple was not a very big building. Maybe it was 150 feet by 100. It wasn't a massive building. I actually, one time with my class, it was really cool. We actually, we took tape and we just measured out all the vessels. You think of the menorah, like this massive menorah. The temple was a modest place. I mean, it was beautiful. But it, was, it was, wasn't this massive airplane hangar. It was a small area. And somehow, millions of Jewish people were able to squish in there. But they were squished. Now on Yom Kippur, when the Kohen Gadol would say God's name, the 42-letter name of God, everyone needed to bow down at that moment. And you know in Shul, on Yom Kippur, we practice that. We actually also bow down. So you're squished, and all of a sudden, there's room now for everyone to bow down. You bow down, and then you're squished again. It didn't make sense. But that was one of the ten miracles that happened. I want to share with you another miracle. The Holy of Holies. And this is, when we talk about, if, when we talk about a miracle and the, the revelation of God, this is generally the ultimate miracle that we talk about. In the Holy of Holies, the Holy of Holies was how big? Let's say, meaning let's say we're going to, go ne- we're going to go now by the measurements in the Mishkan, in the tabernacle. It's 15 feet by 15 feet, 10 amos by 10 amos. How big was the Holy Ark? The Holy Ark was two and a half feet long. Two and a half feet long by one and a half, sorry, two and a half amos long by one and a half amos wide. Amos is a foot and a half. So now, the Rashba shares with us the, this most amazing miracle. Makom ha'aron eno min hamida. He says the, the Aaron took up no space. Okay, you all know math. If you go ahead and you measure from here to here, how much space is there right now? Remember, the Aron is taking up an, a foot, an amma and a half. So how many amos are remaining on each side of the Aron? Four. No, it's 15 and that's two. No, this is ten. Well, sorry, this, we're going by amos now. Let's just take... So it's ten amos. And in the middle of it, you have one and a half. Six has to be six. Uh, three and four each side. This ten. No, this it's taking. That's taking up one and a half. Oh. We're going from here to here. It's ten amos. And in the middle, you have one and a half. So four and four. Three and a half. Three and a half on this side. So you have. Four point two five and four point two five. No, right, it's going to be it, it's going to be four point two five. Yeah, four point two five plus four point two five plus one and a half equals ten. Oh, I think it's right. Right, right. Did you say it's one and a half? Yeah. So you have ten from here to here, and in the middle you have one and a half. Okay, that's ten. Says the if you didn't get the math, don't even worry about it. It wasn't important for our conversation. Says the Rashba, if you measured from here to here, you would get five amos. <coughs> and from here to here, you would get five amos. The holy, the ark, physically. Now, let me say the way the Rashba says it. He says, if you measured from here to here, you'd get 
If you measured from here to here, you'd get 10 amos. If you measured from here to here, you'd get 5 amos. From here to here, you'd get 5. And if you measured from here to here, you'd get 1 and a half. So his math is wrong. Magic. Why is his math wrong? Let me say it again. It's magic. If you went from here to here, it's two. it would be 10. But if you went ahead and individually measured the, the, uh, the Holy of Holy, the, the Ark, it would also measure an arm, a foot and a, an arm and a half. But if you measured from one edge of the room to it, it would come to five. Are you following with me? No? It should be. But... Hashem made the, that the ark Eino min hamida did not take up space. So did the ark just sit square on the ground? The ark was literally, it actually sat on a special rock. Does anyone know what that rock is? That's for another conversation. Anyone know what the dome of the rock is? Is it the So just according to Judaism, we, we actually disagree with what people think the Dome of the Rock is. People generally think that's the Evan Shasia, the foundational rock of the world. And we have many proofs that that's probably not true. So the rock in that Dome of the Rock, um, to the best of our knowledge, according to many opinions, is nothing. It, it, it's on a very holy area, but that specific rock is nothing, according to many opinions. But the... But the... Ark was put on the foundation of the world. Let's put it. <clears throat> so Hashem was showing us how you could be physical, you could be limited and limitless at the same time. When we talk about a miracle, Hashem was showing us within the Holy of Holies, in the holiest place in the world that physical and spiritual are able to unite. The infinite and finite can unite. And that's why, we well, that's why the, Ramba, the Rashba shares this. Not that there was magic. Hashem doesn't... There was, there was a purpose here. It's not accurate to say that there is no contradiction. Not that they share the same purpose. They, they do not contradict each other the fact that No, we're trying to say they're one. We're learning here that finite and infinite are one. The spiritual and physical are one. Hashem, we say in Shema, Hashem is one. Hashem everything is one. Let's go back in here. Page 154, right hand column. Therefore, after after the Jewish people said, God, we, we're not able to connect with your true unity of God. It's too much. We're just going to die. We want Moshe to tell us, therefore God at once commanded that a sanctuary be made for him with the Holy of Holies <coughs> for the presence of his Shekhinah which is the revelation of his unity, blessed be he, as will be explained later. <laughs> so Hashem said I appreciate your point <coughs> to the Jewish he told us I appreciate your point Jewish people you, you're not vessels 
for you're not able to truly receive this idea of the unity of God in its revelation. Yes, the patriarchs were able to do it. And Moshe was able to do it. In a, small, in, in a smaller way, all of the prophets were able to do it. We cannot. If you're a prophet, please let me know. I'd love to know that. But otherwise, you probably cannot truly connect with the oneness of God. So God said, build a sanctuary. Build a sanctuary. In the sanctuary, I will dwell within the Holy of Holies. And this explains to us a, a, a classic, classic question that always comes up. We say Hashem is everywhere. And then we say, oh, Hashem is in the shul. We say, Hashem is Hashem everywhere or is Hashem in shul? Is Hashem everywhere or is He in Jerusalem? Yes. Yes. Is, that's right. Last week I read you the Mishnah, right? The Mishnah said, if someone lives in Jerusalem, so the woman or man could pull you to, to live there with them. Because, yes, Hashem is everywhere. And Hashem is everywhere equally. But is Hashem's everywhere revealed? No. No. It's kind of like a security camera. You don't, you don't know. Hashem is everywhere. Hashem sees everything. But you cannot always feel it. So let's put this together. So it's up to you. No, because you can't always achieve it. That's what we're learning now. We're actually learning that many of us don't have the ability. But can't you learn the ability? No. You're saying that if you don't have it, you'll never get it? Yes. The Jewish people, some people's bodies are not vessels. You're not, no matter how high you try, you're going to become, you're going to have to leave your body to be able to right. truly perceive the unity of God in its ultimate form. So you're saying some people have no hope. No, that's exactly what we're not saying. But you just said. No. Some when people. You don't have it, you don't have it. In this area, correct. Correct. In this area, in this idea of, of perceiving in its fullness the unity of God, not all of us, Hashem wants us to be able to do that. Yes. I can't. That's, for, that's a good question. It's a good question. Even though it may not. Go ahead. Even though it may not be in our immediate consciousness, yes. were we not all at Sinai when the Ten Commandments were given? Yes, but we lost our soul. We yeah. lost our soul that to leave the body. Okay. Yeah. So let's let's put this together, and I'll. If you say I'm never going to get it, then why should I keep coming to class? Ah, you want to know why? Yeah. That's what we're going to learn next week. <laughs> <laughs> if I may respond, we'll be yeah, later. Later. it says right here. As will be explained later. <laughs> That's literally. That was very good. How long have you been keeping that one? <laughs> I was waiting. If I may respectfully suggest, the progress through the ten spheres is a continuous one and seamless. Yeah. Therefore, if we do not continue to strive to uh, uh, to emphasize the uh, the um, what do I want? The 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 positive, the the holy. I can't remember the Hebrew term, and not the hurrah. Then we regress. We don't ever stay where we are. So we must continue to strive in this seamless progression. So therefore, why do we go to shul? Why do we daven? Why do we study? Why do we do any of this? Because it sets the frame of mind of pursuing the righteous path, which is a continual effort if we are to ascend at all. And in order to do that, we become a Benoni, and hence we achieve our purpose. Is that wrong? <laughs> I'm not going to answer right now. 
But I will tell but you. Come next week, and <laughs> I, I will tell you. This is to the, to the point everyone's talking about. Next week we're going to address this directly. But in the beginning of chapter thirty-five, in the beginning, of, yeah, because I want you to come also for longer. In chapter thirty-five, we're going to ask you the most incredible question, which is something probably all of you had said. If we, if we can't be the ultimate person, we can't be that tzaddik. So why were we created? Just to, to read you, what's the purpose of the Bainani? Why, why, was it, why was this person created if their entire life they're just going to be fighting? To serve as a contrast to the other. Ah, so I'm the bad guy to make the other guy look good. I had someone who recently told me that Hashem put in someone bad right before him, so when he comes, he looked amazing. So you're saying that we're all the bad people to make the good look... Okay, fine. Thank you, Rafi. I, that makes me feel really good now. Are you speaking <laughs> of Paul's humor? Or? Can, can we get back on track here? Yeah, back on track. Stop this unseemly type of humor. I, I want to just mention something. I spent a long time in the summer. Compliments of the Israeli Army Vacation Service. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the things that we were... Asked to volunteer to do was to climb Mount Sinai at uh, what two o'clock in the morning for several hours just to appreciate the spiritual aspect of all this and also have a wow that's really cool point of the rest of the area for certain assignments and uh, you become very, I gotta tell you something when you spend a few years in the Sinai Desert you become very spiritual whether you want to or not. Because you're never sure you're gonna get everything out of there, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it becomes the places where there's high stress and high hopes and high belief. Somehow it all comes together in the most uh, unimaginable places that people don't expect. People think everything happens in shul. I found that most of the things actually happened out somewhere in nowhere, in the middle of nowhere, where you have to face yourself and uh, God kind of alone. So let's put this all together, and then we'll, we'll take questions after. We shared how this idea of understanding the true unity of God is something that the forefathers were able to accomplish, the prophets. We cannot. We cannot so much so that the, the time that it happened to us, we lost ourselves. So therefore God told us to make a temple. We're in the temple. We saw the, un the oneness of God clearly revealed, whether it was in the Holy of Holies or the Ten <coughs> Miracles that happened in the temple. So the question becomes... So can we, are, are we supposed to be sad? We can't. Like maybe we, we don't have hope. Maybe we are doomed. It's a great question mark. And Mir Hashem will continue next week. <laughs> Thank you very much. We should uh, note that um, a great deal of what we've been studying for what it's worth is in the Zohar and not in the Torah.